What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone. Today we spend some time reflecting on what it means and what it looks like to change the world. Change the World began as a global service project in a United Methodist Church in Ohio years ago where the pastor urged people to stop worrying about getting people to show up to church and instead focus on getting the people already there to start moving into God's service. Different churches will celebrate this date in different ways, but today we are going to focus on some specific steps we can take and hear the story of Richard Stearns, the former president of World Vision. World Vision is an organization that was originally started to care for children, but has expanded to doing emergency and advocacy work. They are doing everything they can to change the world for children and people who are in crisis. This readily connects with who we are as Christians, as we'll see in today's scripture that Eric will read for us. Jesus has just blessed some little children who the disciples tried to shoo away. But Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Then a rich man has a question for Jesus. He wants to know what good thing he has to do to get into heaven. Jesus' answer is bold and challenges everything we may think about the world. Let's hear our scripture now from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 19, verses 16 through 30. Hear now the word of the Lord. Then someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and also you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, I have kept all these, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you wish to be perfect, go, sell your possessions, and give money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this word, he went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astounded and said, then who can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, for mortals, it is impossible, but for God, all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, we have have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man is seated on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on those 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or fields, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. And from Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, 
For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, make us an inclusive community passionately following Jesus Christ. Shape our hearts as we consider what it is that you expect of us. What does it really mean to be your disciple? Open our hearts as we consider this truth for our lives today. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, The story of Richard Stearns is quite the tale. It begins with an important businessman meeting with Richard. At the time, Richard was the president of Lennox, a company that makes fancy tableware. For the most part, everything Richard touched seemed to turn to gold. He found success in every job. By 33 years old, he became president of Parker Brothers, the the board game company. He had gotten a promotion about every 12 months for nine years straight. Then he moved to Lenox and led a small division that tripled in size over three years. That got people's notice. And again, he rocketed up the company with promotion after promotion. Everywhere Richard went, he seemed to find success until finally he was president of Lennox meeting with an important businessman. This man was an investor in another tableware company and told Richard he was planning on purchasing a second tableware company. By combining the two together, it would become the single largest company of its kind in the world, and he wanted Richard to lead that company. He offered him 10% ownership in the company worth easily 20 to 50 million dollars. This was it. This was the moment that would make him not only successful, but rich beyond his imagination. Richard would be set for life, and all he had to do was say yes. But there was a complication. Unknown to the Lennox company, Richard had just taken an interview with a small nonprofit organization called World Vision. He was offered the job as president of that company, too, and he was considering taking it. As Richard was told about this multi-million dollar opportunity, he shared with this investor that he appreciated the offer, but that he was considering working with a charity organization that would help him put his faith into action. He didn't name the organization, but he told him if it didn't work out, he would be very interested in this lucrative offer. The man was amazed that Richard would consider leaving Lennox for a nonprofit uh, organization, but nodded his head in understanding. He then told Richard this story. He said years before, he and his wife were unable to have children, so they finally adopted a little girl from India. They raised her as their own until suddenly she died at just 10 years old. The grief tore them apart. As he lost interest in his business and separated from his wife, then one day he found a letter in the mail from an organization called World Vision, which invited him to sponsor a child for just a few dollars a month. He wrote them a letter explaining the loss of his daughter and asked if it would be possible to sponsor a 10-year-old girl from the same part of India where his daughter had been born. Two weeks later, he received a photo of his sponsored child, and for the next few years, he wrote to her and sent her presents regularly. He told Rich, somehow, by sponsoring that little girl, I was finally able to let go of my grief. 
Though it seemed wild to him from his personal experience, he could see how Richard would choose to help an organization like that. But don't miss it, though. Richard never said the name of that organization. This investor literally named the company Richard was thinking of working for, saying what an important impact it had in his own life. You'd think this would be enough to push Richard over the edge and jump at the chance to work for World Vision. What an incredible impact they were making. And here was the chance right in front of him to be a part of it. But that's not what happened. Instead, he went home and crawled into bed crying. Working for World Vision meant Richard was going to take a 75% pay cut. He was going to have to move his family across the country to Seattle, and he had never even worked in a nonprofit before. He wasn't even sure he was qualified for the job. He left that evening for Seattle, met over the weekend with the board of World Vision, and when he returned home, he called them and left a message saying, I'm sorry, I'm not the right person for the job. You'll have to look elsewhere. When he got back to work at Lenox that Monday, he had a series of tough meetings. He talked with the World Vision board member later in the day, confirming the reasons why he couldn't be president of their nonprofit. And he was told they'd have to start the hiring process all over again because no one else was even being considered. No one came close to the qualifications of Richard. That evening when he got home, his wife told him they had to go to a missions conference for their church. He definitely did not want to go, uh, but his wife told him, I'm going your children are going, and it would be good if you came, too, to set a good example for them. It was just enough to push him over the edge to go to that conference. And if all that had happened before was not enough to hear the voice of God speaking to Richard, God got out the megaphone. At the conference, the speaker told people about the great needs of the world. It was a good setup to ask for money, but at the end, the speaker didn't ask for money. Instead, he said he felt that God was speaking to someone in that sanctuary that night, that God was, in fact, calling that person, not just to write a check, but to go and to serve. He said that all around the world, children were hungry and suffering. They needed help. As he closed, he offered a prayer that God would touch that person's, person's heart. And Richard, he could not believe it. It was as though he was speaking directly to Richard, as though God himself was saying this. And Richard realized that he was running away, that he had kept running from God, and God was simply waiting for him to turn around. God was asking, Rich, are you open to my will for your life. In Matthew 19, we see a very similar dynamic playing out as that of rich and committing to work for world vision. A young, young ruler has come to Jesus asking what good deed he must do to have eternal life. Jesus points him to God and says eternal life is for those who keep the commandments. The rich man then asks, which ones? And that actually makes sense. In Judaism at the time, there were 613 identified commandments in the Old Testament, yet no one agrees on the set list of what those commandments actually are. It's almost a symbolic number since no two lists were the same. It included things like having children, not eating the muscle of the thigh, and redeeming your firstborn donkey. It was a wild list, and clearly some of the things in it were more important than others. 
No one could keep all 613 commands, though. So what were the key commands? What was it that really mattered when it came to eternal life? And Jesus answers the question with what we might call the human word commandments. He doesn't name the things about God, like having no other gods before him or idolatry. He says things about people. Don't murder, don't steal, and love your neighbor as yourself. I love the rich young man's answer. I think he shows his youth here. He says, I have kept all these commands. What do I still lack? Most Jewish people probably would have said the same thing. They didn't do terrible things. They were decent people, and they tried to love the people around them, even when it was tough. That was enough, right? Is there some other requirement beyond living your life, doing your work, and not hurting other people? And then Jesus lays a metaphorical bomb. If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give the money to the poor. What Jesus says is actually breaking Jewish charity law. No one was allowed to give away so much that they would reduce themselves to poverty. Later, a specific law was made that you couldn't give more than 20% of your wealth to the poor. And I don't know exactly how they enforced that. Did the government come count your chickens every year? I don't know. But this was a severe test from Jesus. He was saying, if you are going to be my disciple, you have to value your rabbi, your teacher, above any other possessions. If you say you love your neighbor, you've got to actually have your life bear that out with what you give. You know how the story goes. The man goes away sad like most people would because he would lose all that he has. Uh, Craig Keener, he says, the kingdom is not meant to be an extra blessing tagged onto a comfortable life. It must be all-consuming or it is no longer the kingdom. When you have less to lose, it's easier to accept God's kingdom. That's why Rich Stearns' decision was so difficult. He had so much to lose, millions to lose, and a life of comfort beyond anything he had ever experienced. And here was God saying, through a preacher at a mission conference, God is calling you, you specifically, to help starving children, to save lives. Rich remembered thinking that night, what if there are children who will suffer somehow because I failed to obey God? What if my cowardice costs even one child somewhere in the world his or her life? See, too often we think loving our neighbor means being nice to our friends and family. Maybe if we are trying hard, we extend that to our literal neighbors. I remember learning years ago that loving your neighbor didn't just mean the people around you, but any person you met, everywhere you go, the people you encounter are your neighbor. But here the idea is pressed even further by Jesus. Love not just those around you, but give charitably to the people you may never even meet. God isn't just asking you to be kind to your child or your neighbor's child. Our kindness has to extend around the world. If you can save one child's life, wouldn't God want you to act? 
Wouldn't that be a part of what it means to love your neighbor as yourself? Give everything. Give your whole life so you don't walk away grieving, holding on to your possessions, but instead find purpose and meaning in a life lived for God. Rich Stearns had a difficult decision in front of him. As Rich begged and pleaded with God, he broke down and cried. His wife, Renee, hugged him and cried with him, saying, We need to be where God wants us to be. And if that's at World Vision, we will just go. In essence, she was saying, Go ahead, sell my dream home. Yank my five kids out of school. Move us to Seattle where we don't know a soul. And reduce our income by 75% because God is telling you to do it. No problem. What a gift of faith that is. And that faith would change their lives. He took the position, resigned from Lennox, and within just a few months found himself in the jungles of Uganda, surrounded by orphans, wondering how he could help these children in such dire straits. God had revealed his will, and it meant giving up everything, and it means the exact same thing for us here today. Let me share one last story from Richard before we close. Jesus says in Matthew 10, If anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. Changing the world not only changes us, it changes others too. We move toward meaning and purpose. Perhaps the most moving of all is Rich's story about someone else's child when he was in India. There had been a massive earthquake, so he was there to survey the damage and mobilize resources to help as much as he could. On the last day, just as they were finishing their 10 days there, they were getting into the car to leave for their hotel and then the airport when a throng of people gathered around the car to say goodbye. At the last moment, a woman rushed up to Rich's car window and held out her little boy and said, Help me, please help my little boy. He saw to his horror that the boy had no feet and his legs were amputated below his knees. Then in a flash, they were gone, heading back to America. But this moment stuck with Richard. He tried to forget it because what could he do? He didn't even know the woman's name or even that little village they had been in in those final moments. This mother and child, though, stuck in his head. He rationalized to himself that it was someone else's child, but he could not shake the image. Finally, he shared at the dinner table about this moment and how it was troubling him, and his daughter asked, can't you do something, Dad? So that night, he sent an email to the India office asking if they could find this one boy in among a billion people. Two weeks later, he received an email with a picture of the boy and the story of what had happened. In the earthquake, his house had collapsed on him, crushing both his legs. With no immediate medical care, by the time help finally arrived, amputation was the only option. To save his life, they had to cut both of his legs off. In desperation, the mother had rushed to his car, hoping against hope that this man from America could help. He reached out to his team in India and asked if they could do anything to help. They said he would need an additional surgery and then prosthetic limbs. It would cost $300.
Rich's heart was once again broken by God. He wouldn't let World Vision pay for it. Instead, he paid for it out of his own pocket. Such a paltry amount of money could change a child's life. Too often we tell ourselves there is nothing we can do. Yet we as a church exist to equip one another and encourage each other to go and change the world. To share hope and the good news of Jesus Christ with this world. So as we end, I'd like to share with you a a quote from Richard Stearns. It's his own interpretation of a passage from the Bible. It goes like this. For I was hungry while you had all you needed. I was thirsty, but you drank bottled water. I was a stranger, and you wanted me deported. I needed clothes, but you needed more clothes. I was sick, and you pointed out the behaviors that led to my sickness. I was in prison, and you said I was getting what I deserved. This is not who God invites us to be. God calls us to move from the world's version of success to a significance that only comes from finding ourselves squarely living out the will of God in our lives. Challenge yourself. Take that bold step. Do it today. As Mother Teresa says, I am a little pencil in the hand of a writing God who is sending a love letter to the world. Let us be that letter as we find our meaning and purpose in working together to change the world. Amen? Amen. For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.